Good morning, Mosaic. Let's get situated here. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you and praise you uh, for the God that you are and for the incredible love that you have for us uh, and how you have expressed that love to us through all that you've done for us, all that you have sacrificed for us. Uh, God, I pray for this church, for my heart, for the hearts of everyone here, that that love would just be clear to us this morning and this day and this week and, and, and this year and all throughout our lives, that we would be people who know and celebrate your love, that we would be people who uh, just declare and announce your love to each other and to the world around us. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of hope and a beacon of light on this earth. Uh, Lord, it's all from your love that you have loved for us through Jesus who you sent to die for us. And Lord, I pray that that would just be impressed on our hearts this morning. And God, I pray, I just, if there is anyone here who needs to hear a message about your love for them this morning, God, I pray that they would hear, that you would be working through me and in our hearts to communicate that message to us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, let me see if I can, oh, we'll make do, there we go. Okay, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're picking up in verse 11, continuing our series, getting to the end, really, near, near it, of our series, Humble Authority, in the book of 2 Corinthians. So I was struggling this week as I was reading this passage and thinking about how do I preach this, because I read the passage and I thought, you know, a lot of this looks very similar to what we've been preaching about and talking about throughout this series. And I don't want to preach a sermon that's just the same. And I saw a couple of verses that stuck out, but I felt like I had at best one-third of a sermon. And I was like, okay, what do I do with this, right? And so I thought maybe I could extend the text into chapter 13. Uh, but I thought, you know what, first I should pray and ask God to just work through this and in me and help me to see the beauty and inspiration of his word and just see what's here and just see what he's put here and see how to preach this. And so I'm working and I'm studying and, and God answered that prayer. And, and I saw one point that I was like, okay, this could be the sermon. I can make a sermon out of this right here. But then I kept going and I was like, wait, hold on. Here's another point. This could be the point that the sermon is all about. And then when I saw the third point, I knew I was in trouble. So I'm here to tell you this morning that God has answered the prayer, and I have three sermons worth of content that I'm trying to give you, right? Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? So to our God who answers prayer, you can pray that you'll get out of here by 1015, and we'll see how this goes. Uh, but all joking aside, I'm going to do my best, and I think I've pared this down, so I think we'll be in good shape. Uh, so this morning's sermon is about love, specifically God's great love for us. And I was convicted this week uh, as I was thinking about how I normally preach and how I normally have conversations with people, how I tend to really focus on the outward effects of God's love in us, of how that affects our ministry, of how that affects our spiritual disciplines, and all the things that we are spurred to do because of God's love for us. And, and that's a beautiful thing. When the gospel touches our lives, when God's love comes in and, and plants itself in our hearts, how we just get transformed and something amazing starts to happen and we start to make this wonderful impact in the world around us for the glory of God and, and just to love and bless all of the people around us. And when we get together as Christians and, and do that together, that impact compounds. And that is beautiful, but it all completely disintegrates without the love of God deeply planted and rooted in our hearts, transforming us from within. And so that's really what I want to talk about this morning. 
uh, is this, this living, ongoing, growing relationship that we are called to have with Jesus and to know and, and just experience the love that he has for us. And I want to talk about that because I'm quick to forget, and I think most of us are quick to forget God's love for us. Uh, and just all, of the Bible, all that the Bible says about that. But the big idea this morning is that we were made to fellowship with God. And what I really want us to focus on is how the love that he has for us is really the goal of our lives and our ministry and what we're moving towards. And so in everything that we do in life, it should all revolve around knowing and experiencing God's love for us, enjoying him, spending time with him, looking for more ways to get that blessing in our lives. And without that understanding of his love, all of our church ministry and our Bible studies and Christian lifestyles and disciplines will all start to just turn cold and gray and become altogether lifeless without the love of God that just brings color to everything that we do. Uh, And that's because to live and to love like God has called us to, we must live on his love for us. And so with that, I want to get going. I've got three points. Uh, They come together around knowing God's love. So point number one, uh, sin blinds us to God's love. So look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, I have been a fool. He says, I've been a fool. What does he mean? Well, if you've been around, if you've been paying attention to the last several sermons, uh, he's been talking about this idea of foolishness because the Corinthians have these false teachers that have come into Corinth uh, in Paul's absence who have started to teach them things other than Christ. Uh, and, and their style of teaching and their ministry and all of it has centered completely around rivalry and uh, kind of building uh, themselves up and knocking everyone else down about taking advantage of the Corinthians, about putting them down, about taking money from them. And that's what these guys are all about. And so with this rivalry, this arguing, Paul uh, decided if the only way the Corinthians could hear him is by him kind of stooping to that level to show he is just as qualified as all those guys, he says, fine, I'll do it. And so in the last chapter, he gets into this long list of all the ways that he is just as qualified as everyone else. But then he says, but none of that even matters because, you know, I am weak and it's really God's strength who moves through me. And so he says, I've been a fool saying I've stooped to, to do that, but that's foolishness that's not like Christ. He says, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, and he's being very sarcastic, even though I am nothing. So even though he is nothing, he's saying they're also nothing as well. None of us, you shouldn't, doesn't matter. God is the one you should be focused on. God is the one you should be celebrating. He puts all of us to shame in, in our strength. He says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So in Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, he's reminding them of all the, thing, all the ways that God was clearly and visibly moving through him and through that ministry. And then he says in verse 13, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. And some more sarcasm there. And what he's saying is he went out of his way to not burden the Corinthians whatsoever. He lived off the support of others. The guys with him lived off the support of other churches so that they could just give and bless the Corinthians. And so that right there uh, is showing this uh, one of many kind of accusations that the Corinthians were levying against Paul. And they were saying, and I think it was a lot of the false teachers in Corinth were saying all these things about Paul to try to show how he's not as good of a leader, not as good of a teacher as they have in, in these other guys. And, and so what Paul would do is he was trying to call the Corinthians back to Christ. As they were moving away from Jesus, they were moving into all sorts of sin and brokenness, and it was running rampant in the church. Kind of what I said before about how when God's love touches our hearts, 
and how like the impact we have in the world can compound when we come together. In the same way, when we let sin run rampant in our life, when we come together, that sin runs rampant, amen? And we become divisive, argumentative. We get in all kinds of fights, and you guys are all frowning because you know I'm telling exactly what's true, so you're with me. But that's, that's what happens, and that's what was happening very much in Corinth, and we'll see a list of that even later. And so Paul is, Paul is trying to call them back to God, back to, to uh, uh, godliness, and, and to bring them ultimately closer to the love of God through uh, following Jesus and becoming more and more like him. And so, but they're interpreting all of that as just this, uh, this negative kind of, all, all this negativity towards them that, they, that he doesn't actually want what is good for them. So that's the last like five sermons. So that's, you're welcome, that's free. Back to this sermon. Uh, the Corinthians then, in their sin, they're cutting themselves off from the objectivity of their brokenness. They're saying, this is fine. They're looking at the sin in their lives and they're saying, this is okay. This is, this is fine, this is, this is okay. And it's leading them to, to not be able to see the sincerity and the love that Paul has for them. And they're unable to see that. And so we could, we could look at this and we could say, wow, okay, weird story, messed up people, great. What does that have to do with us? Well, it's not that easy because this isn't just about the Corinthians, right? I was asking myself, like, why is this letter in the Bible? Why do we have this letter in the Bible? And the answer is, there's a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons that I want to talk about is how it shows us something about ministry and about our own brokenness in the midst of it. And Paul's ministry towards the Corinthians who are just really broken and really giving them every excuse to walk away, and yet he's still pursuing them in love. And so it's telling us something about our our brokenness and about the spiritual pitfalls that we as Christians face in our pursuit of Jesus. Uh, and that what the Corinthians are doing is really one of the ways that we naturally respond to our brokenness. So you could think of the Garden of Eden and the fall, right? Adam and Eve, you got the forbidden fruit, and they eat it, and then they're like, oh no. And so think about right in that moment, what's the next thing they do that we see in the story? They go and hide, right? So these, these people were made to live and be in fellowship with God. But as soon as sin enters the picture, they're now trying to hide from God. And that's something that sin does to us. One of our natural responses to sin is to hide from God, to hide from objectivity, to hide from the truth, the reality of our sin. And so we might try to hide from God just right in that sense. We might try to hide from the reality of our sin and try to justify and say, no, this is okay. And over time, you know, we can just psych ourselves up into thinking these aspects of my life are fine, they're okay, but they're not really okay. Uh, And so... When we cut ourselves off from objectivity, we cut ourselves off from God. And when we hide from our sin, when we deny our brokenness, we're closing our eyes to God's love. Sin, our sin blinds us to God's love for us. And so what happens then is you got generations of people in sin running rampant, not just in one person's life, but as people together and over the span of generations, you've got the world of people moving further and further away from God. And that's kind of where we're at today. Uh, apart from God's work of redemption in the world, is people who have just become blind to God's love for us. And, and sin has such, taken such root in the way that we think and the way that we look at the world around us that we could even look at things uh, of what God does in the Bible and it could be incredibly loving, and we might not even be able to see that. We might even be thinking, man, this is just, maybe this is just, why would God do something like this? Maybe this isn't nice, this isn't good. And yet, it's done out of a, a longing and a desire to restore the world to fellowship with him like that fellowship that he had 
in the garden. And so we could take a look at life without God's love. What is it like to live without God's love? It's like a flower without sunlight. We were made to live and run on God's love. It's like a car running out of gas. It's like a gazelle in captivity, right? It's just, it's just wrong. That thing was meant to roam and, and run free. And I guess lions might be chasing it in that case, but I think that's probably still better. I don't know. That's, you guys know what I'm saying. But uh, modern psychology has all sorts of data for what happens to kids when they don't get love, especially in the early stages and how that affects their development. And that's, that's the same way for all of us, even into adulthood, that we're developing as, as children of God, as spiritually reborn uh, members of the family of God. But when we don't get God's love, when we're not knowing and experiencing his love, that is negatively affecting our development. And, and, and it's, it's silly to think that that's not going to affect everything in our life. And we're going to be like that, like a flower that is just kind of slowly wilting and, and just sad, uh, not in the sunlight. And so the point I want us to get here is that it is critical as children of God, that we never stop looking for his love. It is critical as children of God that we never stop looking for his love. You never outgrow the need to constantly be looking, seeking, searching for the love of God for you. Because the reality is that as long as there is sin in our life, there are forces in our life, in us, that are working to suppress the truth of God's love, that are working to try to... uh, condemn us in our sin, right? Like the Holy Spirit convicts us in sin, but in a way that brings us to God. But I think the enemy is working to just condemn us in our sin in a way that's just telling us to go and hide and to say, God doesn't want you. You're not good enough for him. Look at what you did. You can't go to God now. And that is not at all the case. The, the gospel is that when you were at your lowest, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so at your lowest point, you can still come to God and find him. There's, God's love is still alive and well and real for you. And he's still looking for you. And so uh, I want us to get that it's critical for us to keep looking for God's love. And so we can ask, what in your life right now is keeping you from knowing and experiencing God's love better and better? It could be things that we're fixated on, things we're afraid of. It could be insecurities that we have. There are so many ways that this could play out for us that this does play out for us every single day. And so I'd love to have a whole sermon just on this point to sit and have a whole conversation looking at all the different ways that this happens, and we could talk about that, but we got to move on. So that's sermon number one. Uh, (laughs) Our sin blinds us to God's love. And and so point number two is God's love uh, is not look. God's love is not looking for what is yours, but for you. And Austin read that. Uh, Paul says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafted, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. There's kind of some more sarcasm here, irony. This is another accusation. Basically, the Corinthians are saying, okay, Paul, it's true, you came and you didn't ask for anything from us, whereas all these other guys did. But this was all just like a mind game you were playing. Like you were just trying to win us over so that you could take advantage of us later, right? And so he's saying, you're saying I was crafty, I got the better of you by deceit, by just loving you selflessly. Verse 17, he says, Well, did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? 
And so he's just saying, look, all along, all of this relationship, all this interaction, it's been for you. Every step of the way, we've wanted your growth, your flourishing, your thriving in Christ. We've wanted you to know and experience the love of God. His response is, it's all been for you. In other words, you could ask, what are, what are we even getting out of this relationship? And I think we're at the end of 2 Corinthians now. If you've read 1 Corinthians and now you're reading 2 Corinthians, I think you're asking the same thing. What, what is Paul even getting out of this relationship at this point? Because you would expect anyone else to have long since walked away at this point because the Corinthians are just in a bad spot, but they don't even see it. And they don't even recognize how Paul is trying to help them. He says, I'm seeking not what is yours, but you. That's different from the false teachers who are absolutely just seeking what the Corinthians had. Their attention, their uh, uh, respect and admiration and their, their time and their money and all of it. They wanted to be kind of the main guy for that uh, uh, body of people. And he was saying, not at all. I'm seeking not what is yours. I am seeking you. And Paul has made it clear that that sort of a love is not ultimately from him but it's from God working in him, right? That Paul's saying, I am weak, I am broken, but it's rather God's love working in Paul, working through Paul, God's strength in his weakness. Because Paul wasn't a naturally loving guy. Like if you, I mean, at the beginning, like if you go back to, you know, his testimony, like he was a, he was a pretty hateful guy, right? But God entered into his life and completely turned that around. And this is the Paul that we see here now. This guy who is just, despite everything, is relentless in loving and serving and blessing these people. And so if, if that's God's love working in him, then that means, and we can, we can take from that, that God and his love is not looking for what is yours, but for you. In other words, God is looking for you. So we go back to that fall illustration. You got forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve. They eat it. They go. They're hiding. Uh, what's the next thing that happens in the story? They hear God walking in the garden, and he's calling out their name. He's calling out, Adam, where are you? God is looking for them. And I don't think God was just waiting to like be like, aha, I knew it. I knew you would, right? Because we know God knows all things, and so that's not what's going on here. Instead, I think what that points to is that God had a certain fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I know that there was something like that, and God was looking for them to continue that fellowship. God was looking for them to, to spend time with them. He's looking for Adam like, where are you? I, I want to I see you. I want to be with you. I want to hang out. And Adam and Eve are over away, hiding in their sin, but even in their sin, even though God already knows what they have done, he is looking for them because he wants not what is yours, but you. He wants you. You are the goal. You are the prize. There's not you accomplishing something, not what you have to offer. He's not like, man, you got to do all this stuff for me. No, he just wants you and your heart. And so Paul illustrates that sort of a love with parenthood, right? So we can think about parenthood. Why, of all things, does does Paul compare, you know, the Corinthians to his children and, and him as, as this parent coming to them? Well, you think about the responsibility that comes with parenthood, right? So somebody who's a new parent, immediately you have that child, suddenly your life changes, right? This, this uh, you start putting someone else first. This new little angel is going to become this, this ball of gravitational energy, that is just going to pull and suck all of the resources and energy in your life into them. And that's where it's all going to go. Over the next several years, new parent, you will spend countless hours on this person. You will forfeit thousands of dollars. You will forfeit tens of thousands of dollars on this person. You're going to go without sleep. You're going to go without sleep longer than you thought was possible. You're going to forego personal time. You're going to be skipping date nights or nights out with friends. 
Your life will be noisier, messier, more hectic, and more difficult than ever before. And it's going to take decades, if ever, for that little, that little angel to fully appreciate all of the sacrifice and love that you have poured into them. Right? Can I get an amen from the parents? I hear some laughs. You guys are with me. And some of you want two, or three, or four, right? You know, and why? And so you say, and yet in spite of all of that, it's worth it. Right, parents? This is, this is where you nod your heads yes, right? right? I want to see some heads nodding. Good. Why is it worth it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, kids. You tell me, why is it worth it? <laughs> because you love them, right? Amen? Because you love them. Because the moment you have a child, you understand something about love that the rest of us can only observe. That, that as soon as you lay eyes on this person, you cherish them, and you're ready to just give everything to them to let your life completely revolve around them. You just want to see them grow and thrive and flourish. And, and you, just, you just want, you'd gladly die for them. You would give your life for them because this person just becomes more important to you than anything else on God's earth. That is the sort of love that God has for you. That is the sort of love that God is working through Paul. Paul talks about gladly spending and being spent for the Corinthians. And it was the same for Titus and everyone else with him. He's saying, this is the sort of love we have for you. We're not looking to get anything out of this relationship. It is all for you. It is all that you would grow, that you would thrive. And there's going to come some teenage years. Some of you maybe have already experienced a little bit. And there's going to be some doubts. Are my parents really looking at my best interests? Do they really love me? But you still love them and you still want what is best for them, even when they can't see straight. And so we see that this is the sort of love that characterized Paul's ministry. So he's, God is, his love is looking not for what is yours, but you. So the way some people do evangelism, it's, they do it like they're just trying to get notches in their belt. They do it like they're just, they're just trying to, like I don't know, hit some stats or something like that. And, and so they go, and they've clearly got this agenda. And it's kind of like, look, I'm here to fulfill God's call on my life. So the sooner that you say the right things, you know, we can both get out of the situation and get on with our day. And that's just not what evangelism is. That's just not the call for it. The call for it is because of love. And so at this point, a preacher could, could speak pragmatically about how important it is that we remember God's love in our, uh, in our, in our uh, ministry and in sharing the gospel with people and in our churches and all the things that we do that we remember and, and, and emphasize God's love as we go about doing all these other things in ministry. Uh, but I would say to you that God's love is not important for our ministry. God, yeah, you heard me. God's love is our ministry. The ministry is God's love. It, it is loving the people around us. And all of those things are not these obligations we have to fulfill or boxes that we have to check, all of those things are outflowings of the love of God working in us and transforming us. And the call is to love. The call is to love God and to love others. And as we allow God's love into us and it shapes us and transforms us and takes root in the deepest parts of our heart, the deepest parts of our mind, and grows from there to affect and transform all of our lives, it absolutely transforms your life. But if you try to, to, treat, to treat the Christian life like a bunch of boxes to be checked, a bunch of rules to be kept, and you don't, it doesn't start with God's love taking root deep in you and, and growing in you and transforming you, it's all just going to cave in on itself. It's just going to be a shell, right? And you might 
be a really strong, disciplined person. You might be able to hold that shell up for a very long time. But the minute anything changes, the minute some pressure kind of comes on it, the whole thing is just going to cave in. Because that's not what we're called to. The love is our ministry. It's how we are designed to live. So I'm going to stand up here and say this to you. God is calling you into spiritual parenthood. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're not. Every single one of us. That is the love of Christ working its way into us. It's not just a Paul thing. It's not just a a God the Father thing or a Jesus thing. This is a love that works its way through every single Christian's heart. God is calling you into spiritual parenthood. By spiritual parenthood, I mean that you are allowing your life to be changed and shaped by God's love around raising new believers in Christ. That you could look on, look at someone, look at a new believer in Christ and feel that love just by looking at them, that you would cherish them. And maybe that's a silly word to use for another adult, but other than your spouse, but that you would cherish that person, that you would love them, that you would want your life to, to be built around loving them, that you want to give and sacrifice and serve because you want to see that person thrive. That is the sort of love that Paul is showing towards the Corinthians. And that's the sort of love that he wants to work its way into each and every heart in the Corinthian church. Uh, because that's not the picture that we have in Corinth right now. Instead, it's, it's disunity, it's divisiveness, it's anger, it's, it's uh, uh, just all sorts of uh, conceit and fighting with each other and hostility, and that's not what uh, we're called to. That's not what we're made for. Allowing your life to be changed and shaped around raising new believers in Christ. The New Testament talks about the idea of adoption. Right? And it gives this, this picture of us come, becoming uh, Christians, coming into faith, becoming part of the family of God. It talks about us being adopted by God and that we are now his new adopted children. And so in the same way, we're longing as, as believers to see more people come and be adopted and, and love them even before they're Christians. Long that they would be adopted into this family. Uh, because I've, I've never adopted. I assume for adoption it kind of works that way that that when you are working to foster and adopt a child, you are longing that they would be yours and that, and that that process would go through. And like normal parenthood, the secret of spiritual parenthood is love. The secret of spiritual parenthood is love. Without that love, it all collapses in on itself. That's the hidden element that drives the entire engine. Without this love, the relationship falls apart. And so... That love, it starts with God. It doesn't come within us, but it starts with God looking for what is yours, not for what is yours, but for you. Uh, he's not your boss, right? So in serving and evangelism, it's not about meeting some divine expectation. It's about having a life shaped by your Father in heaven and, and the love that he has for you. Um, so with that, I just, I just want to challenge you. When you think about how God sees you, think about a parent with his or her child. And think about, like, what, is it, what do you think it is that God is looking for from you? And would you put those same expectations on your, like, on your baby? Like, no, of course not, right? Now, of course, God wants things for you, but he's not looking for you to prove anything to him, right? He's in your quarter, corner. He's rooting for you to, to succeed in following him and cherishing every minute of it. So if, if you are constantly aware of that, aware of God's great love for you, imagine how would that affect your life? If you look at even just this morning or over the last week, right, how, how many things have you done that would look very differently if you were just deeply aware of God's love for you in that moment? I think, I think we can agree, if you really reflect on that, your life would look very differently if you had a deep sense 
of God's love for you in every single moment and just how much he loves you. That is the importance for us as a church to emphasize and remember and seek and continue to look for uh, the reality of God's love for us. Because it's there, it's true, but our sin and, and things in our life and our, this world is looking to suppress the truth of God's love. And on the contrary, we as the church are looking to champion the news of God's love, both among our body and also to the community around us. And so I just, there's this verse in Ephesians 3 that talks about Paul praying for the Ephesians that they would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, the love of Christ for them. And I'm just thinking, man, that is, some, that is a prayer I have for my life and for this church, that we would be able to just grasp how wide and long and high and deep is God's love for us. That in your worst moment, God, he sees right through you. He, he sees flaws you don't even know you have. Right? So don't bother judging yourself because you wouldn't even do a good job of it. But God's not here to judge us. He's here to love us. So God is looking for you. And that's, he's not looking for yours. He is looking for you. And so when you're in sin, when you're hiding from him, whatever that is, I want you to know that in that moment, he is looking for you. He is wanting to restore you to fellowship. And that brings us to our last point, uh, the final sermon. <laughs> the goal of God's love is fellowship. Uh, God is, his love is working to restore us to fellowship with him. So verse 19, Paul says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So he's saying, this isn't about me proving myself to be some better teacher than anybody or anything like that. I want what is good for you. And you are in a spot right now where that's not going to happen. You, you need the love of Christ I want you to know and experience the love of Christ. He says in verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And that's the kind of list where you're like, okay, two or three, I get it, but then he keeps going, and you're like, oh, uh uh-oh, when is it going to stop? And that's, that's the kind of church the Corinthians had. Verse 21, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they have practiced. And that's, that's just the briefest glimpse. If you want more, you can read through 1 Corinthians, but the briefest glimpse of a lot of the brokenness that was in the Corinthian church. Paul's fellowship with the Corinthians had been broken. At one point, he had come initially and brought the gospel and gotten to see the love of God take root in their hearts. But ever since then, it's just been, there's been just this spiritual war over these people to take and steal the love of God away, to steal joy away from them, and to leave them alone in their sin, compounding against each other, producing all these things that we see, the the slander, the hostility, the gossip, and jealousy, and all of it. It was broken by their sin. And Paul is now, he's, he's hoping to come to them this third time, and he wants fellowship to be restored when he returns. He doesn't want to have to be the disciplined parent. He wants to be the fun parent. He wants to be a parent that gets to have fun and enjoy them and have it be a good interaction and a good time. But the reality is that there's something needs to change in the Corinthian church, and they need to repent and come back to and embrace again the love of God and to put away the sin out of their life. Because sin breaks fellowship, right? It leads to selfishness, unkindness, rivalry. Like we don't, we hear those things, we recognize those are bad. We don't want those things in our lives. Sin breaks fellowship and it broke our fellowship with God, right? Adam and Eve had that perfect fellowship, or they had that fellowship with God in the garden and that was broken by sin. 
And ever since then, the rest of the Bible is about what God is doing to restore us so that we can uh, have perfect, eternal fellowship with him. And, and he did that through giving Jesus that we could live forever in perfect fellowship with him. That Jesus was the answer. That he paid the ultimate price, spent more than you could ever imagine to spend, and sent God, his son, down to earth to become a man and serve and suffer for us and ultimately die by a public, shameful, mocking, uh, humiliating uh, execution uh, as in our place to pay for our sin, right? That every single one of us, all the things that we did wrong, we, we owed all of that to God, but he sent Jesus to take all of it onto himself. That is the ultimate picture of selfless parental love. That he, that is God giving his life for us, he didn't even need to. He had every reason to walk away from us. And yet he continued to pursue us even in our worst moments. That is the love that he is looking to build in you. That is the spiritual parenthood that he is calling you to. That you would look at people who give you every reason to walk away. Every reason to just say, no, forget it. And that you would love them. Especially once you know that the gospel, the love of Christ has taken root in them. And that you would say, no, at this point I want you to flourish. I want you to thrive. I want you to grow in God's love for you. The goal of God's love is fellowship. And, and I think that makes sense. When you think about love, think about what love is. Wouldn't you say, like, actually being able to spend time together is pretty important for the people you love? Like, it's, it's something you definitely want. Like, what mother who loves her children wouldn't want to spend time with them? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I, I, could, I could use a break right now. But, uh, but I mean, ultimately speaking, you know what I'm saying. Like, not forever, right? Like, you definitely, you want time with your family. You say, you say I, I, I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. That's the goal of love. And so the goal of God's love for us is fellowship. And as his love works in us and transforms our hearts so that we love others with that same sort of love, the goal of that love is fellowship, Right? And so if we say, like, as we're called to love each other in the church and to love the community around us, I think a reasonable question for us to ask ourselves is, well, what is that love leading us to? Right? Do you ever think about that? Like, you, you can say you love someone, but what does that really mean? And what is the goal of that love? What is that love leading you to? The love that we have for each other, for the community around us, is that we could have this joyful, good fellowship with each other. That's where life is at its best, that we can really enjoy each other's presence. Uh, and so I, I get that there's, uh, there's limits in life. We can't have perfect fellowship with everyone that we love. Uh, we can in heaven. We can't right now. But, but think about this. You know, we can ask ourselves, who, who do you really love, right? And who, who have you not, who do you love in this church that you just haven't connected with and done fellowship with in a long time? And, you know, maybe there's good reasons for that. Maybe you've been really busy, different season of life. Maybe, you know, it's just been different habits over the pandemic. And, and since then you've grown apart and, you know, you just haven't reached out. Uh, I'm terrible with long-distance relationships and, and friendships, and so when someone moves away, like, I just have a really hard time keeping up with them. Uh, but, but despite all of that, we need to ask ourselves, when we love people, what is, what is the goal of that love? And, and so it, we can't love everyone perfectly all the time, or we can't fellowship with everyone perfectly all the time to always have time with everyone on this earth. We can do that in heaven. Uh, we can't do that now, but we can be asking ourselves, for the people in this community, how are, what is our love leading to and how are we fellowshipping together and enjoying the fruit of that love? Uh, and so it's not just, not just people in the church also, but we're called to love and fellowship with the lost, right? The people that we're longing to foster and adopt into God's family uh, who don't know Jesus. And so if the goal of that love is fellowship, and that's a rhetorical if, 
then we're not living that out uh, if we're not seeking fellowship with the lost. Amen? And so the other thing I want you guys to be thinking about is, you know, who, who are you building relationships who, who don't know God's love? And how can you be praying and asking and longing that God would be filling you with that sort of a love for them, that they can know that love? So I want to close by returning to the point of this sermon, which is love, God's great love for us. The love of Christ is the power that moves us to live and love like him. So I hope as you hear all of this that you're not hearing, I don't know, this list of spiritual expectations that you have to fulfill or like, oh my goodness, Jesus set the bar so high and I have to live up to that. And no, the reality is that we are weak and broken people. We are prone to stumble, prone to wander away from God. Uh, The sin that continues in our life uh, is constantly working to blind us from God's great love for us. And so I want us to be a church that fights to know God's love for you, for us around us, that we would be daily finding ways to remind ourselves and each other of God's love for you. Think about how can you do it throughout your day? What are the things that are, that are stealing joy from you? What are the things that are turning your eyes away from God's love? How can you get those out of your life? How can you put reminders throughout your day of God's love for you? How can you do things that don't just say that God loves you, but communicates that God loves you? How can you demonstrate and live out God's love for each other? I want us to be a people who we just dream and think about that and that that would be the sort of fellowship that we have. That we're just looking to, when you get a bunch of people together who are all selflessly loving each other, that that is a beautiful picture of, of just life that is compounding for good and compounding for joy, that we're not ever putting ourselves before someone else, but we're always seeking to build up everyone around us. So this isn't just a saying, it's not just some theological mantra that we need God's love. There's real power here, real power to change you, right? To live in love like God has called us to, we must live on his love for us. To live, to know, and experience that love every single day. Uh, and so remember, God is looking for you, not for what is yours. And, and, and treat that like as, as just, I don't know, the, the thing that to cling to every single day that we can know that. And uh, let's continue to be reminding each other and celebrating that love and, and inviting people into this fellowship. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray that we would get serious about finding your love for us every single day. Uh, Lord, let us stop thinking about what we need to like perform for you or give you or prove to you. If anyone's head is there this morning, Lord, and I just pray that you would just flood us with the reality that our uh, a knowledge that at our lowest moment, at our weakest moment, you are here working uh, for us to love us and to serve us, to spend and be spent for our souls. And you did that through Christ, and I pray that you would help us to know and remember that love, and that that's a real living love, even today. Uh, and Lord, please work that love in us that we could be more loving to the community around us who don't know you, who don't know your love, who in so many ways are hurting and have all sorts of real uh, just pain and, and brokenness in their lives that, that are stealing joy, that are not leading to joyful, loving unity. And Lord, I pray that this could be a community that would be growing and bringing that, that broader community into it to know and experience your love. Help us to be bold in doing that and give us patience and selflessness in the process. We pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen.